0: guys welcome to uh, another episode of more than a podcast it's your host james as always here to give you guys more of the greatness so we're gonna jump right into it um wow this friday this friday this friday i got some uh historic happenings going on and i am highly excited to talk about what uh happened uh this friday uh Man, uh, <laughs> professional wrestling—such a good thing. AEW, such a great thing. Um, you know, it's really funny when I when I think about um, professional wrestling and AEW and WWE and where everybody is. And um, you know, I I could think back to you know the press conference that they did for AEW when Jericho came out, and you know they were basically. Pitching for their vote for the vote of confidence from you know uh, would be fans at the time who transitioned into true fans. You know um, it's it's been such a long ride to watch uh, that brand in AEW evolve, and not just with AEW. I mean WWE has been in the same exact you know position of evolution and and you know forward movement and continuously progressing their brand um but i've stated this so many times uh in you know personal conversations you know if aw doesn't exist for anything else it's to make wwe better but now it's like throwing all that out the window because now i feel like and, and and i've also said this i've also said you know they may not do it now but AEW is surely going to put themselves in a position to compete with WWE, and the consensus was no, they're never going to do it. You know, the most that you know Dynamite can can uh, compete with is uh, is NXT, and now we're now we're down the line, and I mean. Look at AEW. I mean, they're they're really spreading themselves out, and I really love that. You know, they have Dynamite, which is their their flagship show um, on Wednesday, and then they have, you know, AEW Dark, Dark Elevation, and they just introduced AEW Rampage, which is their slot for Friday nights. And to be quite honest, I didn't even know that uh, AEW did a show you know on Fridays I saw Rampage and I thought I was missing or I had missed a pay-per-view and I mean I thought that for all the right reasons because I went on YouTube and I looked up a uh, video of Dr. Britt Baker getting this huge pop um, because she was in Pittsburgh and she's a native so (laughs) so that that's a part of the reason if you're wondering Um, but I thought I mean they had a full house The crowd was packed. They were pumped. Uh, The fireworks, the, the announcements, just everything was clicking like it did, you know, two or three years ago, you know, when you know, when I was mainly watching WWE, it just felt good. felt like that. It felt like that one time where everything went right on Monday Night Raw. But it just felt way bigger. I don't know, like so. So I was really under this guise that yo, this is maybe a pay per view that I just didn't know was happening this year. Um, but I was so pleasantly surprised when I went on YouTube uh, last night, and I'd only missed it by an hour. But one of the most historic happenings took place <clears throat> yesterday in an AEW ring <clears throat> and that is the the coming or the re, re the reinvention the return of one of the greatest wrestlers of all time in a, in some opinions but CM Punk is officially back in professional wrestling And I say that to stress it the way that he stressed it during his promo. Not sports entertainment, professional wrestling. And I got to say, this was a monumental occasion. First off, shout out to, you know, CM Punk has to be really, really smart or just very, very lucky because... You know he he is he has made sure, for lack of anything else, to secure the rights to use, uh, use you know his his uh, theme song "Cult of Personality," and um and the 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 band escapes me, but they've they've performed it live for him. Um, I, man, I, I it was right in my head. It'll come in, and I'll just blurt it out but um i'm pretty sure there's some kind of agreement that he has with this band and um and so wherever he goes whether it's WWE UFC or AEW he's able to use this theme song and he's literally he's literally on that level when it comes to like themes cuz like uh you know i've i've had conversations with people where i'm like what's that one what's that one theme song you know that you could hear the first three or four seconds of and immediately get goosebumps and there's only a few for me you know like breaking glass you know with stone cold the gong with the undertaker you know the 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 guitar riff uh with uh with hulk hogan um you know like there there's there there's a whole lot more but when you hear but when you hear that white noise and that static with with that song cult of personality, it, it man, it just it just changes the entire atmosphere. And um, and it was so funny because, you know, like it, it's it's one of those things that and, and I appreciate a W for doing that, too. You know, you don't you don't hide something like the return of CM Punk. You embrace it. You let people know it's going to happen and you you take it for as much of of a, of a grand occasion as it can potentially be. They filled that United Center. And I don't think that was going to go any other way. You know, if people knew and they know that CM Punk is coming back, they're going to fill that arena. The um, yeah, but his song i mean and and to be honest with you they they literally i'm gonna i'm just gonna say it I'm, i'm just gonna speak raw and just speak plainly the way the way that they played out his return it felt like money in the bank when he fought john cena for the championship like they they did they did the complete pan out showing the crowd you know everybody in there is chanting cm punk they know it's coming they know this guy's coming. Um, and again, as soon as that static, that white noise hit, and then the guitar riffs start, I mean, it was insane. I haven't felt, I haven't felt that feeling. Well, no, I'm not gonna lie, because I kind of felt like that when John Cena came back at Money in the Bank uh, with Roman Reigns standing, doing his wonderful promos. Um, yeah, like that goosebumps just like oh my goodness and it was super funny because you know he, he he's a uh CM Punk is a professional he knows how to get the peak reaction out out of out of the fans and um you know he let the song breathe for a minute and when he hit that stage I mean that pop if if I, I I had underestimated believing that those people couldn't get any louder than they initially did when the song first hit you know the arena but to see him on that stage I mean these people elevated and it was crazy and it was such an emotional moment for everybody involved like I like I said I just you know there there's there's levels to this there's goosebumps. There's the misty eyes. And then there's just straight up crying. And I was right at goosebumps getting a little misty. You know, the forecast was was oncoming mist. And, um, you know, man, I'm not going to go through the whole, uh, you know, the whole course. I think anybody who's interested should go and watch it. Um, But, man. But you know what I did find funny? I found really funny if you happen to look at it, and you can confirm this for me, the Brock Lesnar guy was there. I, 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 he I he's online and his name is out there, but I've never I've never likened to him, you know, the reason to just like know his name as a part of like wrestling. I just thought like, oh, he's just very fortunate that he gets to go to every show that he desires. Um that's pretty cool. But he always wears the same, you know, affliction type style shirt. And I swore he was right there. I was like, holy crap. Does this guy show up to every monumental event? Like, I would think he was the one orchestrating the stuff, uh, uh, you know, under the table. But, yeah, it it was it was it was great. It was great. And it's going to it's going to live. It's going to live on the Internet. For a long time, you know, um, people are gonna rewatch and rewatch and rewatch, you know, that 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 pop, and they're gonna use it as a comparison to some of the biggest pops that have ever happened in professional wrestling. And I honestly would say I don't think that there's much that's close, short of the pop he got at Money in the Bank, uh, the pop Stone Cold got. I can't remember what WrestleMania was, but it was the one where him. It was the one at. It was the one that was at uh the uh Dallas Cowboys uh their stadium, and uh Shawn Michaels came out and then Mankind came out and it, I remember as soon as Stone Cold's music hit, I mean, it was like deafening. Um, but you could always grant that to just the arena size and how many people were there. I don't know, but I know that last night. CM Punk made his return and I he he did a he did a really good promo too. Um, his promo addressed everything that you would want it to address if not directly, you know, um, you know, he gave it in a very passe manner to acknowledge, you know, his time in UFC to his time in other, you know, um, sports entertainment uh, like, like that that part of his promo and, and that this part I will kind of throw out there for you. I, I really enjoyed. You know, he said, you know, September or no, August, such and such a date. In so many years I left professional wrestling talking about his uh, leaving ring of honor. And then he just leaped to, you know, the present day and said, I'm back in professional wrestling. And I thought that was I thought that was so significant to him basically putting a middle finger up to WWE without saying their name directly. I thought it was genius. And I, and, and the, the one thing that I'm really excited for him in AEW for, and it's, and to be honest, it's not really the wrestling part. I think that a lot of the younger talent are going to be able to take away, um, a lot from his promo work. um, because he's one of the best Um, when when punk speaks you listen and you know even though there are a lot of people in AEW who can speak and entertain there's there's a huge difference between having and capturing your audience and really having them engage and you know short of you know chris jericho who who does some pretty good promos i think that one you know my favorite wrestler kenny omega he could use a a couple of pointers on on promos i don't think his promos are all that great i think his wrestling is top-notch stellar 110 percent. but i would love if his promo game was just a little bit you know um more effective and i think he could learn that behind a person like cm punk i think to be in the ring with cm punk that that is a match I, i look forward to cm punk versus kenny omega um, I would definitely like to see a return, uh, another match. This will this will be, would it be a trilogy of matches, uh, for him to go against uh, Chris Jericho? I'd love to see another one of those, um, because because I can tell you right now, Chris Jericho has been elevating himself to the occasion of what these younger wrestlers are asking him to do. But to get in the ring with a wrestler like CM Punk, you are only gonna go out there and give people. Double, triple, what they're what they're expecting because you know that the two of you are probably the best that have ever done it. So they're gonna make magic, I, I believe. um He did call out Sting's name. I don't know if that's gonna happen or if it's worth happening, but that's a thing. But his first match, his first match, which is a little crazy because he only has a week to prepare for it, and then the next week is gonna be AEW All Out. Um, so I, I, you know, like, and I I don't, I don't know. I mean, if he's ready, hopefully he's ready. I, I honestly want to see that match. I think it'll be really exciting him versus Darby Allen. Um, Darby Allen is a really monumental talent and I really appreciate his brand of wrestling. Um, because he kind of brings back that he's kind of like a new age Jeff Hardy almost, um, I just don't think he's been given enough opportunity to to, to hit as many of the the O M G spots that Jeff has has you know done over his career. But Darby Allen has has a whole lot of career left. Um, you know, just just to throw it out there too, I, I definitely hope that uh, that Darby Allen wins and gives CM Punk a point to have maybe a mini rivalry going on before he moves on and wrestles other people so that is that is that um yeah i'm i'm excited i'm really excited for wrestling i really enjoy wrestling um it's been a while since i've actually been able to to like truthfully and honestly say like oh i'm gonna go and and watch some you know wrestling you know for what for what uh, you know for what wwe has brought to the table it's been like okay whatever you know like I basically relegated myself to just saying, "I'll just worry about the highlights." That was just like literally my reaction. I'll just worry about the highlights. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna worry about anything else. It's just highlights. AEW. It slowly got there too, but now it's like I'm gonna start investing my time again into uh, watching the shows because I think that I think it's important and I think that they're doing a lot of good things. Now. The podcast that we were supposed to have before we got into this uh, is about what else? Video games. I wanted to talk about. um, So here's what I wanted to talk about. When back in the 90s, it was really funny back in the 90s, you know, we were all kind of in that mix of. You know, the video game wars, I guess you want to call them. But I think by the time, you know, I got to PlayStation, I was done with like the whole war thing. Um, I really didn't care what system I was playing anything on. I just wanted to play fun games. But that's not to say that, you know, the PlayStation, when it came out, was not one of the most revolutionary systems of all time. You know, and Sony has done a really good job. Of uh, setting themselves up with uh, their new newer iterations of their flagship systems, and yeah, it, it's been a wild ride altogether. Now, the reason that I started the '90s is because one of the one of the pivotal things that I remember was a type of games that I was getting into at the time, and you know that was my first taste of what uh, we have come to know now as genres. So things did things didn't break down. Like that when I was younger, you know, when I was younger, early early nineties, you know, uh, late eighties, um, dude, it was just about is is it fun? It really wasn't about the type of game. I mean, you knew the you knew the simple stuff like oh, this is this is a sports game versus this is a, um, yeah, I mean, we didn't really call them action games. It was just Mega Man or it was just Ninja Gaiden. Um, but you know, now it's like you know you can define these games a little bit better. Uh, based on genres. So one of the genres that I have become such a fan of has been um, the RPG. And in the 90s, there was no bigger company that was doing RPGs um, than Square, who you may know as Square Enix. Um, But they were not Square Enix in the 90s. Square uh, was actually Square Soft. And Square Soft... If you ever saw Squaresoft on a box uh, for a game, then you knew that there was going to, or at least I did, um, the feeling was that there was going to be a very robust story uh, to be told. And I just always appreciated Squaresoft games. And it started with Final Fantasy VII. I know a lot of people have had different entry points as far as their first Squaresoft game. Um, but again this is before uh, the Enix uh, uh acquisition um you know some people might ask well d- does that make a difference yeah I think it made a big difference I think the games definitely started changing uh after uh Enix and square you know joint joined their companies together and you know I, I think they they' become better for it but you know the the games that were coming out before this was a thing I mean they were just Gems. Just gems. So that's what I want to go over today. I want to go over uh ten of the most standout Squaresoft games that uh I've actually, you know, had the the pleasure of either recognizing or personally playing or whatever. <laughs> so um so firstly, I wanna talk about this game. I wanna just kinda of get it out of the way. Um there was a game that came out uh from Squaresoft and on the playstation 2 and it was called the bouncer and it the bouncer uh the game is actually it's a different take on uh on j- the genre that squaresoft is used to so instead of being a straight up rpg um this game was a beat 'em up and i remember this being such a you know, shake up as far as what people normally expected. And I honestly think that the reason that the bouncer didn't go over as good as people anticipated it would was because of how much of a, of of a foot they put in it being just a beat up as opposed to an RPG. Now, if you ever go, if you ever go online and you look up the box art for the bouncer um now it's it's so funny because I remember looking at this box art years ago when it released because it released, um, I want to say in uh, 2001. And <clears throat> um, the art style at the time was reminiscent of one of the f- one of their former games on the original PlayStation, which was Final Fantasy 8. It looked like it looked like an updated version of Final Fantasy VIII, but now that Square has has gone and made several different games, I can honestly say that the uh, the main protagonist um, he looks like Sora from Kingdom Hearts. He looks exactly like Sora, and it's really really funny. I mean, you could just look at them and like it's it, the, the the appearance is just uncanny um is it a good game today i mean i would think that it's entertaining um i think i think if there's anything to take from it it's the story but again i think what people may have fell out for was the fact of how they were told to engage the story which is through a beat up and uh you know that wasn't what people were expecting you know at the very least they thought maybe there was going to be some kind of uh you know uh, like maybe like a I, it's so funny to say it like a beat-em-up rpg like is that a thing i don't know um if it's not i'll market it but um yeah i think i think people's expectations just weren't quite met so this game just kind of disappeared i don't i don't think i don't think that it i don't think that it went as well as people thought it would i mean it, it was looked at as like an average game for its time i mean at, at the like game pro which was uh a publication back in the day i mean they they gave this game uh four and a half stars out of five so like they they thought the game was good but like you have like official playstation magazine they gave it like three stars metacritic gives it a 66 over 100 so it's like everybody kind of has their own feeling about it but i really honestly think it's just about perception and what exactly the expectation was from the person playing the game i just think when it comes to game pro maybe there were just a bunch of square fans over there so uh yeah the bouncer um the next game uh, was on the original playstation and it is the brave fencer musashi Uh, The Brave Fencer Musashi was an action uh, role-playing game uh, that came out in 1998, and um, yeah, it was it was interesting. It was an interesting take, a different art style, and I think that's something that uh, you know you'll see as a trend from the games that I mentioned because you know Square made a lot of RPGs, and I think the one thing that They did right in making all of these different RPGs because a lot of this stuff came out like back to back to back, like very close together. So you could have suffered some fatigue. But the thing about Square at the time is that they had a lot of talented people who wanted to tell some great stories and they allowed them all the room and the freedom to tell those stories in the images that they wanted to do so. And this is one of those thing this is one of those games in Brave Fencer Musashi um that was, you know, told from a more action perspective. It had mini games, um you know, you there was a lot of different mechanics it had a day and night cycle uh, in the game and it was actually pretty pretty fun. Um you know, it it's one of those games that you know, like even like this is this is how I always say it. It's one of those games that may not have scored very high, but for what it for what it was worth, you're gonna have a great time with the game. I would say you would have a great time with the bouncer as well. I just think the bouncer is more controversial because of what people were expecting it to be. But uh, GamePro gave this. I, this is when they switched over their system. Uh, they gave it a four point five out of five. So same thing as the bouncer. I just think they just liked all square games and Metacritic gave it an 81 um, over 100. So, um, yeah, that was that was an interesting game back back when it was uh, released. Um, One game that I remember experiencing a long time ago, and it's so funny because whenever I hear people talk about uh, the Xeno series, most people are talking about uh, Xeno Saga or Xeno Blade and I remember when it was just Xeno Gears. <laughs> like, I remember the Xeno Gears game. Um, this was one of those games that I went back and, and, and bought. Uh, this game actually came out in 1998. And this was one of those games that I literally went out and bought off of the strength of what Final Fantasy VII was. Period. It was just like Final Fantasy VII is such a you know just polarizing game i felt like anything that square at this point had released i was going to go out and i was going to get it day one and and there was just nothing else to say about it um you know it, it i think i think i think one thing about xeno xeno uh, gears is that for me it got a little lost in the sauce what people don't know is that and and i i mean i can't even imagine uh people working this way but uh xeno gears was actually a proposal for final fantasy 7 so you know like basically they produce a think tank and xeno gears was a part of that think tank you know for the direction of of final fantasy 7 and ultimately you know we have what what legendary game we do have but this game was uh, perceived as being so good and not not a waste of an idea that, you know, they decided to have it branch off and be its own game, which, you know, that to, to that benefit, I say thank you. Um, it, uh, th- this this game actually scored really well and was a very popular game. And again, this is just one of those things where it comes down to the preference of what type of game you're trying to play um it was extremely different from a traditional final fantasy game uh the one thing that i remember was that there was this you know there was the story about you know the kid and the village and this that and the other but then it got into a story about mechs and robots and i'm like it it, it was so funny because at the time and it, this is the reason why i didn't finish the game because I was so deeply invested and moved by the traditionalist uh, storyline and I just couldn't you know once it got once it got to the point where there was technology involved, I was just like, I don't think I really want to continue <laughs> like I just I can't you know but 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 I do recognize this as a very um, moving game as far as what Squaresoft had produced uh, back in the day so. Xeno Gears, very very big popular game. Um they Square SquareSoft not only did now we already know they did beat em ups and we know they do RPGs, but they've even done uh fighting games. And they've they've done quite a few fighting games. Uh but one of the ones that was uh so polarizing was uh Tobalv number 1. And as weird of a name as it is, it is this was actually a really fun game. I remember this. This was now now here's the thing. In the beginning of PlayStation's, you know, existence, a lot of games were just horribly ugly, just absolutely terrible looking, but they were just so fun to play. Could I play them now? Probably not. Um, but you know, for what they were worth back in, you know, in the day, you know, their polygonal state as far as like the graphics and and whatnot. I mean, it was just, it was a little weird. It was a little weird, but you know, the one, you know, the one reason why everybody went out and bought Tobal number one, not that it was a great fighting game at all, you know, because this released in 1996. So this is one year before the biggest role playing game of all time. And, to commemorate that, Tobal number one came with a uh, a bonus CD with, the, I mean, they didn't call it demos at the time. They called them samplers, but it basically was a demo um, of Final Fantasy VII. And, you know, the, the anticipation for Final Fantasy VII was so rampant was so rapid that people went out and they bought Tobal Number 1 in droves, so much so that Tobal got a sequel. And like I said, it wasn't a particularly good fighting game. It was entertaining for what it was. I enjoyed it. But, man, if, if people bought that game for a whole different reason, it was because of Final Fantasy VII. Um, you know, reception-wise, it went okay for its time. You know, got a... Um, you know, 8.37, you know, or 8.5 from EGM. You know, Game Informer gave it a straight-up 9 out of out of 10, which I I, I I really think that, again, it's a sign of the time, sign of when we're playing. Um, GameSpot, which I, I would have taken, I would have given more credit to at the time, gave it a 7.4 out of 10. And I think that's just about where it was as far as how, um, how, people should have received that game or at least from my perspective. Um another fighting game that SquareSoft produced which was uh one that I'm pretty sure most people would be familiar with is Bushido Blade. And Bushido Blade was a game that uh released back in uh 1997, the same year that uh Final Fantasy 7 released. Um and man, th- this was so different. It, it you know, it You know, the traditional fighting game at the time was, uh, you know, to have about eight to 12 characters, um, you know, and, you know, you could have a story mode and they'd go and get to the end boss and it'll just be whatever. But this one was a little different because, yeah, you could play the computer and that would just be one thing. But this one was more uh, it was, you know, like playing it with two players was a lot more fun. Because the one thing that was so unique about Bushido Blade was that they had um, they had mechanics where you could do like limb damage, but it but there was like this high risk of, of fatal damage just from I think like ninety five percent of the blows. I mean, you know, if you got swiped on the top of your head with a katana, it was like you're done. I mean, you you know cuz in real life, if somebody got a clean shot with a, you know, a, a katana, you're probably going to bleed out and die. Um so, yeah, it was it was a different take and I think I think it was just one of those one of those kind of like it's one of those games that I would like to play like in a party setting. You know, it's kind of like uh almost like a rock paper scissors kind of deal. Like who's going to hit first? Who's going to, you know, get that damage? You know, you might End up getting a swipe that you were able to, you know, uh, evade at the last second. But they barely got your arm, so now you're kind of lacking a little bit. But then you came up with that upward slice, and you know, got him in the face and just killed him with one blow. Like, and that that was the big thing for me uh, back in the day was like just like knowing that there was a game where you where you had that you could have one blow and just completely KO an opponent. EGM gave this game uh, the same score uh, that they gave um, Um, Xenogears. I mean, I'm sorry. Tabal number one gave it a 7.375. I don't know why they would go with that kind of algorithm. Um, GameSpot gave it an 8.9 out of 10. So, yeah, Bashido Blade was a really popular game. This also spawned. Uh, a sequel going forward. Uh, I believe two sequels. I think that they had the two that came. Bushido Blade 2 came out like I think not even a year. And then uh, they also had one for PS2. Um, My next game that Squaresoft came out with, and this one's really, really close to my heart. um, It's uh, Parasite Eve 2. And I know some of you might be thinking like, oh, well, why did you skip one? Or what's wrong with one? Nothing's wrong with one. I think one is a fantastic game. I think they did a lot of good things with Parasite's Eve 1, but 2 was where, where it's at for me. Um, I You know, like I remember playing the first one and I think I was just so overwhelmed with the mechanics and everything that I couldn't invest my time into it. Plus, like Tobol number 1, they had a very, th- this one had a fatal mistake. Uh, I guess you can call it a fatal, but I mean, it, it kind of ended up good for them because they were able to make a sequel, which is one of the best games that I've ever played. But, um, you know, they, the in the original um, Parasite Eve, they packed in a demo for Final Fantasy 8. So, yeah, like when, when people found out that Final Fantasy 8 was in that in that package, then th- that that's basically what they went for. Um, and I remember, I remember my friend, uh, coming over and he was saying, oh, I just bought this game. Uh, this is back when, this is back when they used to sell games at Sears, um, when Sears was even a store. Um, (laughs) but yeah, he had bought Parasite Eve and he brought it over and, uh, it was so funny because I believe he bought it for the final fantasy eight demo disc. So he let me play Parasite Eve while he went and just <clears throat> rough shot on uh on on final fantasy 8 and then we switched and uh, i don't think he liked it too much but parasite eve 2 is so good i think i think with the with the sequel they i don't want to say they dumbed it down but they did make it more accessible um it just felt a little better to play i felt i could follow the story a little bit more um the way that they explain the game is like it's an action role-playing survival horror game which that's a mouthful i would just call it straight up survival horror i would call it a survival horror rpg there you go um you know there there's this whole uh overarching story about mitochondria and you know they try to give you this whole scientific take on you know why people are mutating into these monsters and whatever but um, outside of that, you know, as a gamer going in, you don't really care about anything other than shooting guns and wrecking shop. Now, the one thing that I could tell you about this game that was extremely pivotal for me, and this is one thing that I feel like we don't do anymore in these days, like we don't we don't learn on the fly because there's just something so magical about learning something on the fly and just having that reaction where it's like, "Oh, I never knew! I just went through this whole game, and never knew that you could do that." Oh, this is great! It just opens up the game in an entirely different way. And um, that was that was the feeling with um, with the leveling mechanic for the uh, the magic, because you can use magic in this game, um, or abilities, or whatever you want to call them. And, you know, for the most part, you know, through my first playthrough, I was I wasn't worried about doing anything but just shooting and running and just shooting and running some more. And, you know, a lot of that was predicated off of how I played games like Resident Evil. Um, But once I learned like, oh, I could like seriously just, you know, put my, you know, these these points into this one Uh, section and i got these fire abilities and now i'm able to get past this part that was like so much harder for me like you know three uh three attempts ago when i beat the game back then now it's just i'm flying through it it was so good i mean i that game that that's one of those games like people always ask the question oh what's the game you've beat more than five times. This is one of those for me. Like this is one of those games that I can like blindly go through and I'm not even thinking about how much time I invested into it. Uh, you know, whether the story's cohesive or not. I mean, to me, it's cohesive enough. Um, you know, they 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 do have different locations uh, in the game. I think one of the big things I remember this being like a huge thing. Uh you know, especially around the time where Lara Croft was like the video game sex symbol, you know, they obviously put Ayabrea, uh, who's the, uh, uh the, uh, protagonist of the game. They put her in a, I don't want to say compromising position, but just in a very suggestive position, you know, like she has this shower scene and it's just, it's weird. And it's I, like, I don't think that would fly today, but it was what you did back in the day in order to make sure that you're selling games. Um, It didn't score too well. Um, You know, it got a 79 on Metacritic. Um, I mean, GamePro gave it a 4 out of 5, but IGN gave it a a 6.9 out of 10. So I just don't think it was very well received, um, which could be a part of the reason that they didn't have a, a sequel on a major console. I know they did Third Birthday on PSP, Um, that was not a system that I had and it is not a game that I've been able to invest in, but I would love, love, love if, uh, you know, Square Enix today, uh, would revisit this uh, property because it is one of my absolute favorites. They should do a collection. They should do a remastered collection of both games, or maybe, maybe what they could do is just meld both games together and make them, uh, make, you know, the happenings scenarios you know, and uh, kind of do it like they're doing Final Fantasy and make it episodic, I, I would pay for that. I would pay for episodes of of uh, Parasite Eve. So, yeah, uh, Parasite Eve 2. Check it out if you have it. Um, another big Squaresoft game, and this is one of the uh, first Squaresoft games that I actually bought with my own money. I mean, every other one that I mentioned um, from the early years, like final fantasy seven and, uh, Xeno gear. Well, Xeno gears I bought, um, but final fantasy seven, I borrowed that from somebody, but Blade Blade borrowed it. Toe ball number one, borrowed it. Um, but this is one that I actually went out and bought. And it's, it's kind of funny. The, the story is kind of funny, uh, how I secured this particular game or why I thought that this would be a game that I would want to secure. And it is final fantasy tactics. Um, Final Fantasy Tactics at this stage has has gone down as probably one of the top, I'd say it's in, it has to be in everybody's top 50, easily my top 20, but definitely my top five. Um, you know, and that's just my personal top five. Uh, it, it, it usually switches places for number one between, uh, Symphony of the Night, uh, and uh it, yeah it, it 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 was a good game i mean it is a good game i actually just uh completed it and on uh on the playstation vita and i'm playing the classic version they actually have another version called war of the lions that they released on psp um which i'm not a big fan of i think they just made way too many corrections like like it, it's it's so funny that that i say this but i really enjoy The nuances of games that were, you know, that would get a game docked down for not being perfect in this aspect or, oh, the, the, you know, the dialogue is cheesy or um, the art style is this or they they actually curse here. Like, these are reasons that I bought these games. Like, I I still remember that feeling I had, and this is just a little tangent, but I still remember that feeling I had looking at Barrett cuss in my game. I I, it it made a more intimate scene because as a kid or as a young, not not a young adult, I'd say a kid. Yeah. Um, But it was an intimate thing. It's like, you know, at that stage in your life, you wouldn't go cursing in front of your mom or your dad. Right. So to just be in your room and just have somebody like shit, it's like, okay, this is between me and you. Um, But uh, Final Fantasy Tactics was one of those games that I bought. Uh, purely off the strength of of Final Fantasy 7 and it came out a year after Um, and what was really cool about well let let me first tell you how I how I actually got this crazy game so um, I had a Nintendo 64 and and I and I didn't get Final Fantasy Tactics in 1998 so let's let's be clear on that um, I probably no. I think I did maybe I did maybe it was like the later in maybe coming in at 99 but anyway um, I had a Nintendo 64 and my the Nintendo 64 was actually pretty funny because it was my it was the first system that I got as a solo system meaning you know every system before then I had to share with my brother and you know my brother just kind of veered into a different direction he wasn't quite the gamer that he used to be and so this was solely my system and i was i couldn't have been more happy i used to get so upset seeing both of our names on one present because me and my brother we were like rivals and you know it was always told when we open you know whatever you better share it's like yeah, okay you know and i never even even with things that came with both our names on it i never shared i was a, a bully of a big brother but um I digress um but then until the nintendo 64 was just I, I don't I don't know what it was about that time in my life but I didn't really have a hard time asking you know parents and aunties and uncles for games um to you know put into my collection and I actually grew quite the collection and between me and my friends, uh who stayed on my street i mean we all we you know we kind of followed that same. i you know how friendship is or or how it was like you could stay on the street with like about five or six other kids and you guys generally all did the same exact thing but just little minor differences so that you can exchange those differences in kind so for what game you didn't get another person would and we used to have so much fun you know just trading games back and forth on a nintendo 64 Well, at one point or another, um, you know, I got into an unfortunate series of circumstances where um, I could no longer have my Nintendo 64, and it was... Not that I didn't want it. It was just, again, circumstances. And, you know, I can elaborate that with people online, on Twitter, if you want to go into it. Um, But for now, we'll just call it circumstances. So I wanted to control my circumstances. So what did I do? I took up uh, my Nintendo 64 and my controllers and my memory packs and my rumble packs and everything that I had. And I took it to the swap meet. Now, if you don't know what a swap meet is, it's kind of like a... or a flea market. there you go. so people might know them it's flea markets <clears throat> um, which they have totally changed now. Um, you know you used to be able to go to a swap meet or a flea market and really get a good deal on some great things and it's just not that way anymore. Now everybody's out for capitalism and it just sucks. But anyway, um, I remember I took all of what I had to the video game shop inside of this swap meet. Uh, this is well before a GameStop even existed, and I'm thankful for that. Um, but yeah, I I went up and I gave him everything that I had. I said, "What what can I trade for this?" He said, "He said I'll give you, you know, if you want." Because I asked him, I said, "Can this? Can I? Can I get the PlayStation?" He says, "He's like, if you give me all this, I'll give you the PlayStation, an extra controller, and you can pick two games." And I was like. Any two, he's any two games. I mean, because I think I gave him like, like I said, I gave him four controllers, maybe two or three uh, uh, memory packs, four rumble packs, and maybe about six games that I had left. But again, that I, I digress on that. So, um, so yeah, that that was that was the deal. Um, I took the deal and the games that I picked up was Final Fantasy Tactics and Symphony of the Night. Um, And it was super funny because it wasn't even a week and I took both games back and said, I wanna trade these back for something else. And uh, I forgot what game I picked up in, in that place. I traded both of them for just one of something that I wanted. And at that time, this was before they even had greatest hits. They didn't have greatest hits yet you know, and, um, I remember reading in a magazine, uh, l- a little bit later, they were talking about, you know, the most rare games, you know, in gaming history at the time and Final Fantasy Tactics was one of them. So I literally traded away a game that I had an original copy on. And for lack of anything else, I had to basically pick up that and somebody the Night later as Greatest as Hits. So, you know, if you ever say, did you ever have an original copy of this game? Yes, I did. Uh, what happened to it? I, I don't want to talk about it. But um, Final Fantasy Tactics is, is a really, really uh, popular game. I it, it hasn't quite been able to spawn its own existence. I mean, there were, uh, I want to say, pseudo sequels on the Game Boy Advance. Um, but You know like what fans have been clamoring for is something more direct as far as a sequel but they haven't done anything there's been games that have been uh have been put you know have been presented as uh spiritual successors i remember there was this one that was going to go on kickstarter called unsung hero i'm still so upset about that game um and that was going to be produced by uh, the director of Final Fantasy Tactics. And, you know, it's this whole thing that got kickstarted, but it ended up being vaporware. And now I just relegate myself to playing the original Final Fantasy Tactics. So if you have not played Final Fantasy Tactics, I highly recommend that you play this game because it is hands down one of the best um, derivatives of the original series that if you're tired of just following that streamline, um, you know type of RPG, you could just totally take this left field and play this, and it's like whoa! It's like it's like playing the most amazing game of chess. <laughs> Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, this one's on everybody's radar. I'm pretty sure. Not so much on mine. Um, I was not a big fan, but um, this was on my radar uh for one reason or another and the game is Vagrant Story and Vagrant Story came out in 2000 and the only reason that, that this game had ever come into my circle of understanding was because it had connection with um with Ivalice um which is the setting of Final Fantasy Tactics so when I was reading in the magazines about this game coming out and um and they were you know, they were basically talking all the selling points. All they said was Ivalis, and I was like, Okay, you guys are going back to a very familiar place and if you give me any similar semblance of uh, uh or any connection to any of the characters that I knew from from tactics, I will love you forever. And it's not that type of game. One thing I do I gotta say about Ivalis, because Ivalis has been um presented in multiple games in the Final Fantasy universe. Um you know, not withholding uh Vagrant Story, the original Final Fantasy tactics, and also Final Fantasy twelve, um, all take place on the same continent, just in different places. But what intrigues me about that is the understanding well, not not just different continents, because it also happens in different time periods. But I always said to myself, Man, if there was some way that some of these characters can run across each other. That would just be awesome. And I think that's what they did with War of the Lions. Uh, Final Fantasy Tactics War of the Lions was that they took um, some characters from 12 who were involved in the same, you know, um, in this, on the same continent, and they made them included in, in that game. So it's kind of like, oh, uh, you know, just throw your bone. But Vagrant Story is, a, is one of those games that – you know a lot of people have put a lot of appreciation into um it is a radically different uh take on action rpgs um i did like the art style um it's just it, it has a very um distinct color hue and uh they do the like the dialogue is played out in kind of a comic book way but the thing that i couldn't understand like with um Parasite Eve was like the mechanics of fighting was just a little too much for me to try to understand. And I remember playing this game. I actually went out and got this game, and I remember trying to learn it, and I just couldn't wrap my head around it. So, you know, and, and my whole thing as far as all Final Fantasy games at the time was get myself as far down the line, you know, through the courses of my actions just so i can get to the next point of the story i just want to get to the next part of the story where you know they're playing it out whether it's an fmv or just really uh long dialogue courses that's all i was ever really fighting for was just the next point of understanding what's going on in the in the plot um and i'm and i've heard from many many people that vagrant story has a really good uh plot but i just i i I have not taken the time to uh, to play this game. One day I will invest my time. One day I will, uh, you know, go through this game and and play it. I mean, you got emulators nowadays. So I'll, uh, hey, maybe when I get my Steam Deck, I'll just have kind of like a, a side load of, of the original PlayStation games. And I'll uh, put this one on there. Or if it's on PSN, I, I don't know if it's on PSN. But that will, that would be a pretty good pickup on PSN, um. You know, maybe I, I would assume it's about what nine ninety nine, maybe twelve ninety nine, which I which I find justifiable. I think they I think they could totally charge that, and it'll be okay. And yeah, I might I might I might invest in it. Um, let's see. As far as how it did, it got really good. It got really good scores. EGM gave it a nine out of ten. Um, IGN gave it a nine point six um official playstation magazine gave it a four and a half stars out of five uh playstation extreme gave it a 9.6 out of 10 so like this game did go down as one of the you know revolutionary uh movements going forward in you know Squaresoft's history of making stellar rpgs but this was just one of those that i i honestly missed the train on so uh Vegar's story that's a uh, one that hopefully um a lot of you have have experienced um the next one should be the no-brainer um it is uh, final fantasy 7 and <laughs> yeah i i have the fondest memories of this particular entry um mostly because i remember that um this was one that i had actually ended up borrowing before i actually made it my own um and i it was it was lent to me off of the strength of someone's disinterest. You know, like a friend just had it, he didn't want to play it, he didn't really care about it. Here, take this game, get it out of my face. And I kid you not, I spent an entire summer uh, just locked away in my room. Like the summer of 97 is one I do not remember for anything that I had done with friends or family because I spent the entire time up until going back to school um yeah it 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 was everything about Final Fantasy VII is a step up from anything that I could have expected from Square Enix to produce as a as a good game um you know the 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 story is still one of my favorites the characters obviously you know that's that's the biggest thing people take away from final fantasy 7 is the characters um the fighting system was was really good but what i really really enjoyed was their um their element and accessory system i loved the materia that was the first time I actually learned about the concept of magic in an RPG, because because Final Fantasy VII was the first proper RPG that I played, and um, you know, like I remember when I when when I started learning about you know the materia and how it can grow and you know uh, get stronger and give you you know more widened abilities and how you couple that with your accessories and connected you know, to have these kind of effects, it was like I mean, the possibilities were just endless. And I and I spent so much time just literally like it, it's I, I always say this about games. Like there are certain games you play to complete, but then there are certain that certain games you just play to experience. And I remember back when like there were so many times I would just turn Final Fantasy Seven on just to grow my materia. I would just go to the hardest part of the map and I would probably spend like an hour just grinding my materia and mastering my materia. Turn it off, go have a sandwich, go watch some TV, little batman the animated series, come back, grind some more. And it was just it was just amazing. I used to I used to turn it on go to the golden saucer, you know, um, uh, and I'll just be in the battle arena, just in the battle arena all day. I used to do, I used to do this. I used to do this so often. I mean, you would, you would think like you would think to yourself, are you doing anything that's going to assist you in beating this game? And I think it's just one of those things where once you know how close you are to beating something, you kind of take that time to just say, okay, let me let me pump the brakes a little bit and let me just make sure that I've enveloped everything that there is. Like, dude, I, when I learned that there was a character called Yuffie who would, you know, start off as an enemy but then you could, you know, open up a whole different plot line to have her be an ally and, you know, there was Vincent uh, Valentine and, you know, like there, it was just so – like things that you could literally – go through the game and never experience you know i like i just made a point to experience every single part of that game that's why that's why like i've, I've actually elected and i know this is going to sound really crappy but i've elected to not play any more releases for the final fantasy 7 remake until it's all one collection i don't care if it's 10 more years i'll wait those 10 years and I'll play the full collection because that's the experience I want to have because like right now the reason I'm not the reason I'm not playing any more Final Fantasy VII remake like the one I have is because it's really just a plot mover. There's nothing I mean, can I grind in the game? Yeah, I probably could, but not the way that I not the way that I I, I enjoy grinding on like that open map, which are they, are they even going to do that? Like, I hope they do. I hope they have the open map with the little miniature person running around the map, the randomized battles, you know, like, yeah, they, you know, for the most part they, you know, you got, you know, when you're in an area, you know, you got the battles where you can see the enemies and that that it is what it is. But if they, if they don't do an overhead map with randomized battles, man, I'm I'm going to flip, I'm going to just flip. Um, you know, there, we don't even have to talk about the reception of Final Fantasy VII. This game is regarded as one of the best games of all time, um, high marks on every level. And they continue to re-release uh, the original game on every platform imaginable. Um, and as you've heard me state, they uh, they have the Final Fantasy remake. So, yeah, there you go. And the final game that I want to talk about when it comes to Squaresoft and all of the magic that they have released to commemorate gamers who appreciate their work is the one, the only Chrono Trigger. Yes, Chrono Trigger. Another game that I have not played. Um, Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say it in truth. I have not invested myself in Chrono Trigger. I've played Chrono Trigger. I have started Chrono Trigger um, several times, in fact. Um, but there's just something about it where I'm just always like, "This is so great." But if I just play Tactics, I'll be so much more happier. And that's usually how it boils down, um, you know. Which I have to stop because, heck, if I if I took the time to give um, Dragon Quest a a you know a try, you know, once the once the um, merger went through and they started re-releasing a lot of the dragon quest games i remember that oh my gosh those was so good um yeah i i don't know why i haven't uh, done the same for chrono trigger so i'm going to do that but um this was one of those games that was really really funny because um you know this again this is when you you learn things on the fly and uh i remember the box art very well from from the past and i remember being a little weirded out because i was just like you know okay the hero he looks cool yeah there's a big old monster you know but what's up with the frog like and and i know as soon as i said that people are just gonna be like dude he's like the most awesome character okay i get it um but I, i but i didn't get it at the time you know uh the game originally released uh 95 on the snes so this is way before um, you know, this could have been my first R- RPG. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I just don't know why I couldn't really grasp one and hook into it. Um, but you know what I learned over, over the years because, uh, you know, as a kid growing up, you know, you start to get into different cultures and stuff and, you know, uh, entertainment was bringing cultures to us and, Um, we ultimately and inevitably got uh, Dragon Ball Z. And I said to myself, that looks like that one game Chrono Trigger. And guess what? It's the same freaking artist. So when I learned that, I said, okay, maybe I do want to go play Chrono Trigger. And I still haven't picked it up. But I am going to buy it. Um, This is going to be one of those games that, yes, when the Steam Deck uh, arrives for me, um, I'm going to sideload so many different games from so many different platforms. Uh, it's going to make my head spin. But um, a lot of people regard Chrono Trigger as the greatest RPG of all time. Um, again, it's it's such a debatable topic, but it's one that I enjoy having because I love hearing people talk about how awesome uh, Chrono Trigger is. I, I heard it has multiple endings. Um, I heard that, you know, uh, they're really cool weapons and, um, you know, fight sequences. And I, I'm I'm. I'm willing to invest my time. I'm willing to invest my time. Um, But the one thing that I can do now is just recognize that it's one of the greatest games that Squaresoft ever released. Um, What do you have to, you know, show for your history as far as Squaresoft? Do you even remember Squaresoft? Or are you a gamer that, you know, basically came up when they were already merged and they were Square Enix and everything was what it needed to be? Or are you like me and you have uh, some distant memories on some some games? I mean, there's a lot of square soft games I haven't brought up, um, but maybe we can talk about that. Uh, You guys know it already. I'm on the Twitter. Hit me up on the Twitter more T.A. podcast and we can talk about some things. I love talking video games. I love uh, talking to you guys about um, a lot of different things outside of video games. So it's not just the games that, you know, we can talk about. We can we can. (laughs) <laughs> talk about anything but i really want to know like you know what's your favorite game uh you know overall with uh what square has released over time square is square is just a big uh you know part of why i am so invested in video games today and i i think i can be nothing but thankful for what they have uh, produced in my lifetime so uh, with that being said, you guys already know the drill. This was a good, long episode. Um, I'm so happy to get this uh, get this episode knocked out. But it's one that I felt like was worthwhile. Um, oh, yeah. And what did you guys feel about the return of CM Punk? CM Punk. Um, <clears throat> if you haven't seen it, I would say check out um, AEW's channel on YouTube and uh, take a look. And there's more than... <clears throat> there's more than one uh, video there is the arrival of punk there is his promo that he cut and then there is also a video of him uh doing a q a so if you're more interested in just understanding why he's wrestling excuse me wrestling today then yeah you can do that so now we can do it uh with that being said take care of yourselves and each other and i will see you guys next time bye guys